So I have a story to tell you from the Bible. It's the beginning of the book of Exodus. This is real history. It's not a fairy tale or a myth. It really happened around 1300 BC, so 3,300 years ago. The children of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, were enslaved in Egypt. They lived along the Nile River in Egypt, in ancient Egypt, and they were slaves. And they made bricks all day for the Egyptians to build their buildings with. And God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they would have the promised land, which is the country of Israel today. They would be free and they would have their own land. But for 430 years, they were slaves in Egypt. And they prayed, God, set us free. And God heard their prayers, and in the course of his timing, he decided that today's the day. And a couple hundred miles away in the desert in what is now Arabia, God appeared in the burning bush to Moses. You heard of Moses before? All right. God appears as a fire in a bush to Moses and speaks to him out of the bush and says, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the king emperor god of the strongest, most wealthy nation in the world with the greatest economy and the biggest army. God tells Moses, I want you to go and tell him, I'm mad at you, and I'm taking my people away from you, and I'm going to overthrow your country. Like the rest of us, Moses was not excited about that. I don't want to go tell him that. He made all the excuses, and God kept telling him he had to, so eventually he does. He goes to Egypt, and he stands before Pharaoh, whom he knew because they grew up together, if you know the story uh, from the beginning of Exodus. But he stood before Pharaoh, and he says, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, says that you're supposed to let my people go. Now Moses is standing there telling him, I want you to send all of the foundation of your economy out of the country, and you're not going to have anybody to make your bricks and farm your fields and shepherd your animals and all of that anymore. God is taking us away, and he's giving us our promised land. So obviously, for every practical reason, Pharaoh laughs in Moses' face and says, no. And it made Pharaoh mad, in fact, that Moses is uppity and the Israelites must be getting a little rebellious. So obviously they don't have enough work to do. So not only do you have to make the certain number of bricks every day, but there will now no longer be straw in the warehouse waiting on you to add, they would add the straw to the clay and stomp it in and then they'd form it in forms and make bricks and cut them up and then let them dry in the sun and then they'd build with them. And Pharaoh says, if you got time to be rebellious and uppity with me and worry about your freedom, then I'm going to not only require that you make the bricks, but no longer will you be provided the straw. You got to go out in the desert and find it yourself. You're going to make the same number of bricks you always is. So now that God has come to set them free, their situation gets worse. They have double the work to do. And they get mad at Moses. God tells Moses this, Exodus 6, verses 5 to 9. God says, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you up out of the, from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the slavery of Egypt. And I will bring you to the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. God is excited. Hey! I'm here. Today's the day. Your time of slavery is up. I'm here to set you free. And the people complained because it just made things worse. 
I'm not sure I want to be that free, Moses. I don't know if I want to go out in the desert and worship this God. The Egyptians are making it worse on us. So Moses goes back to Pharaoh and says, God says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, I won't. And Moses says, all right, then watch this. Moses takes his rod that had turned to a snake earlier at the burning bush, and he touches the Nile River, and the water turns to blood. All of the water in the entire land of Egypt turned to blood. The streams, and the, it said, even the water in the pitchers and the bowls turned to blood. And Pharaoh says, oh, that's nothing. My magicians can do magic too. You're not proving to me that you have any powerful God. No, I'm not letting my people go. So Moses tells him, well, just so you know, that our God is more powerful than yours. Tomorrow you're going to be overrun with a plague of frogs and there will be frogs everywhere in your hair and in your clothes and in your food and in your fields and your houses will be so full of frogs you can't see the ground. And it happened the next day. They couldn't even walk around without squishing frogs. And the people, the Egyptian people cry out to Pharaoh, hey, why are you letting their God do this? And he says to Moses, he said, can you ask your God to stop this? This is ridiculous. And Moses says, yes, I will. And he prays, and the frogs all die. And it said they heaped them up in great heaps, and the land stank. Piles of rotten frogs. Pharaoh says, well, that was a neat trick, but my magicians can do magic too. No, your people cannot go. So God tells Moses, all right, you tell Pharaoh a third time that I'm going to send a plague of lice. There will be biting lice. God's going to send flying, biting bugs. And the next day, Everybody and all the animals are driven crazy with these flying, biting lice that drive them nuts. And all the Egyptians cry out to Pharaoh, do what Moses wants because we're going crazy. And Pharaoh says, will you pray to your God? And if, you, if, the, if he takes the lice away, I'll let your people go. Moses prays to God, the lice go away, they die. And Pharaoh says, nope, I've changed my mind, I'm not letting you go. So Moses tells him, well, God says that tomorrow a fourth plague will come and the land will be full of biting flies. And the flies will land all over your animals and all over your people and all over your houses and your food and they will bite in everything. And it happened. The next day the land was full of flies. The sky became dark. There was so many flies. But in the land of Goshen where the Israelites lived, there were no flies. They'd had to go through the first three plagues, but the fourth plague... The Israelites didn't have it in their land. And the Egyptians are looking over there across the border where their slaves live. And how come there's no flies over there? Looks like maybe their God might have some power over our God. This Pharaoh guy has always claimed that he is God, but he doesn't have the power to stop this. But the Hebrew God, apparently, he does have power. Pharaoh asks Moses, pray for your, to your God to get rid of the flies and I'll let your people go. As soon as they were gone, Pharaoh says, nope, change my mind, you're not going anywhere. So Moses tells Pharaoh, well, God has told me that tomorrow another plague is coming and your livestock is going to die. God brought a great pestilence, a disease of some sort that afflicted the livestock animals, and not all of them died, but a very great amount of the Egyptians' cattle and camels and horses and sheep and donkeys they got sick and died. Not one single Israelite animal died in the land of Goshen. Not one. Moses comes and he says, are you ready to let us go? Pharaoh says, no, you cannot go. 
I'm not letting my slaves go. So Moses tells Pharaoh, well, God has told me that if you would not let us go, then tomorrow there will be a hailstorm in Egypt like your ancestors have never seen and your children will never see. And it will destroy everything. Pharaoh said, bring it on. I don't believe your God can do that. The next day says that there was such a hailstorm mixed with lightning that the hail fell and stripped every plant of every green leaf, broke the branches off every tree. The animals that were outside and left over from the disease, they died from the hail. But it also says that there were Egyptians that heard what Moses had said was coming tomorrow, and they brought all their servants and their animals inside their house. The Egyptians were beginning to catch on. Whatever Moses says happens, and whatever Pharaoh says, who's supposed to be our God, it doesn't happen. And he's destroying us. And they're beginning to catch on that this God of the Hebrews that Moses speaks for actually makes things happen. And it says, those Egyptians who feared the word of the Lord brought their animals indoors, and they survived. God brought painful skin boils, some sort of skin disease on the Egyptians, and, when Mo, and Pharaoh was particularly afflicted with this disease, but none of the Israelites got it. It was contagious only amongst the Egyptians, but not the, not the Hebrews, and Pharaoh begged Moses, please, please pray to your God to heal us, and they disappeared. They went away, but he still wouldn't let the people go, so God said, I'm going to send a plague of locusts, and they will eat everything that the hail left. Locusts flew in and said that the sun went dark because of the cloud of locusts that flew into the land, and they ate the handles off all the tools. They ate the unbroken branches that were left on the trees from the hail. They were everywhere. Pharaoh says, okay, fine, I give up, I relent. If your God will get rid of these locusts, I will let your people go. Moses went and prayed, and the locusts disappeared off into the desert and Moses goes and says, all right, we're ready to go. Pharaoh says, no, I will not let you go. By now, his servants and his princes and his advisors and his priests are begging him, Pharaoh, you are ruining Egypt. Our economy is destroyed. Our livestock is dead. Our crops are dead. Let them go. Our gods are no match for their god, obviously. He's destroying our nation because of your stubbornness. Pharaoh says, no, I will not let them go. Moses says, well, then tomorrow your land will be struck with darkness. God said it was a darkness they could feel with their fingers. It was a physical blackness that came into the land and they couldn't see their hand in front of their face. But there was light in the houses of the Israelites. For three days they were on lockdown also. For three days, they couldn't see their hand in front of their face, but the Israelites had light in their houses. Moses goes at the end of the three days of darkness, he goes to Pharaoh and he says, do you, do you finally agree to let the people go? And Pharaoh says, no, and don't come back. The next time I see your face, I'm going to kill you. And Moses says, you have spoken correctly. I will not see your face again. The 10th plague, God tells Moses, I'm going to send the angel of death, and the oldest son of every woman and every animal is going to die at midnight tonight. Every single 
bull, every sheep, every person. If it was the oldest male in its family, it's going to die. But the way that you Israelites will escape this is you're going to butcher a lamb, then you're going to prepare a meal with it. God gave a very specific menu. And then he said, you're going to take the blood of the lamb and you're going to put it on your door. And when the angel of death comes to the land, the houses where there's blood on the door, he will know that death has already happened there. A substitutionary death has already happened and your family will not be touched. Well, word got out amongst all the Israelites because Moses sent the very specific instructions on when and how to butcher the lamb, what kind of bread to make, the spices and the vegetables they were to eat with this meal, and how they were to put the blood on their door. And the Egyptians are watching. By this time, most of them are convinced. This God of the Israelites, our slaves have a God that is more powerful than any of our gods. And many Egyptians knocked on the door of their slave neighbors and said, can we come in your house tonight? And And they did. And at midnight that night, it says the, the shrieking and the crying went up throughout the whole land so that the entire country was screaming and crying because every oldest male, no matter how old he was, if he was his mother's first male child, human and animal, they all died right at midnight. Pharaoh's oldest son died. He did not die, so obviously he wasn't an oldest son. If he had been, he would have died too, but he didn't. So his oldest son died, and in his agony, he finally sent word to Moses and said, take your people and get out of here. I give up. I quit resisting your God. The people packed up their stuff. They went to their Egyptian neighbors and said, give us all your jewelry and all your gold. And they did. The Egyptians were so happy for them to leave. And they got paid for 400 years of slavery in one night. Hello. They got paid. It said they plundered all the valuables of Egypt. And they took off. And God leads them out toward the east in the wilderness. And they come to the Red Sea. And God led them into sort of a trap. There's nowhere to go. The Red Sea is out there. They can't move forward. And Pharaoh, in the meantime, has decided he's changed his mind. I want him back. I made a mistake. This is the most stubborn guy in world history. I made a mistake. He brings his army out and they chase the Israelites. And so now the Israelites are trapped in between the Red Sea and the army of Egypt, the most powerful army in the world at that time. And this is just a bunch of slaves. They're a bunch of shepherds and farmers. They're not trained soldiers. They don't have any chariots. They don't have any swords. And they cry out to God and God says, stand still and watch my deliverance. Stand still. And watch my deliverance. God parts the Red Sea and they walk through the sea on dry land. But then when Pharaoh and his army try to follow them, the water falls on them and drowns them all. And the story goes on. Forty years of wandering in the wilderness and eventually coming into the promised land. But in this story, Pharaoh represents the devil who has taken the people that God loves as his slaves to do what he wants. And the Israelites are God's chosen people, the people that he loves and wants to set free. And the Egyptians are the people of the world who have to live under the devil's rulership. And the plagues all address Egypt's gods. Every one of the plagues was addressing a god that the Egyptians worshipped. They worshipped the Nile River. They thought it was a god. 
They worshipped frogs. They worshipped flies. In fact, one of the idols of the ancient world was Beelzebub, which means Lord of the Flies. You know, familiar with that? So they worshipped flies. And God was proving through these plagues, I am more powerful than your gods. In fact, they're not gods. I am the only real God. He was proving to the Egyptians that everything they worshipped, everything they thought would save them, their economy and their gods and their land, all of it is under my power. Plagues are addressing the idols, the false gods that they worshipped. And so it's God's deliverance. It's God doing battle with the false gods of this world, setting us free from the gods of this world. But when he does, things immediately get harder. Well, you're still going to make bricks, but you're going to make them without straw. You're going to have to go get your own straw. Anytime you try to get free from something, it's always going to be harder in the immediate sense. If a heroin addict decided, I need to quit heroin, is the next day going to be easier or harder? Come on. Staying a slave to heroin in the long run will kill him. But in the short run, staying a slave is going to be easier than trying to get free from it. Hello? Let's just way back down the example there. But you realize you spend too much time on your phone. I spend too much time playing video games. I'm online too much. I need to quit. Is that going to make your life easier or harder the next day? Think about dieting, fasting. I need to change my habits. Is that going to get easier or harder the next day? Come on. You make the mistake of praying for patience. God, give me patience. I need deliverance. I'm a slave to impatience and anger. Oh, the next day's just going to go perfect, and you're going to slack, sailing through. I got this thing mastered. No. Every little thing is going to get on your nerves and make your temper blow up. Come on. It's way easier in the short term to stay a slave than to try to get free from something. Come on. If you're, if you're addicted to alcohol or porn or whatever it is, and you decide to quit, you're going to find out this is not just some habit that you developed and I got myself into this problem and I'll get myself out. No, you have made it your God and you need the real God to destroy that God so that you can be free. Amen. You can't get free from lust. You can't get free from anger. You can't get free unless God sets you free. And God isn't just going to pluck you up out of your bondage, your slavery, your addiction, or whatever it is that you're asking to be free from. He's not just going to pluck you out of that and plop you down over here in the land of freedom overnight. It is, no, you made that thing your God. You gave your time and attention and money to that for years. And not only do I just deliver you, I have to prove to you and that God that it is not your Savior. That it is a false God. It is an idol. I'm going to do battle with it. And you're going to live through it because you're the one that made it God. So you can't just decide, oh, I made this mess. I'll get myself out of it. I flirted around with this temptation or that sin or that drinking or those drugs or whatever, and I'll just quit. No, you have to be set free from slavery. But staying a slave is way easier. It is way easier to just stay angry than to forgive. It's way better in the long term to forgive, but it is easier to just stay a slave to anger. 
So God comes in deliverance. He sends Moses and he says, hey, I'm going to set you free and I'm going to bring you out in the wilderness and I'm going to live with you and you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God and I'm going to bring you to the promised land and I'm not sure I want to be free, God. I kind of like things the way they are. I got used to them. You know, yeah, we have to work really hard, but you know, they provide us food, they provide us housing. We have to do what they say, but since you showed up, things got worse. Why don't you go away, God? Quit bothering my conscience. I don't want to be free. This is hard. This sucks. Awful quiet in this Baptist church this morning. Uh huh. So God begins to set them free. And what does it look like? It looks like plagues, destruction. Economic disaster, death. And God's like, Yeah, I'm setting you free. I'm punishing your taskmasters who have held you in bondage for 400 years. Hmm. Well, our water turned to blood too. We don't have any water. It says they were, all of the water in the land turned to blood. They were digging holes trying to find water in the ground to drink. It only lasted three days. So, you know, they lived, but. They had to live through it. And then when God sent the frogs and the lice, the Israelites had to live through it. They got bit by the lice too. But then beginning with the fourth plague, Goshen, where the Israelites lived, was exempt from the plagues. So as God judges the gods of this world, as God brings his kingdom here, we're going to have to live through some of the trouble of the world. But some of it he will exempt us from. And we will just stand by and watch. Absolutely, God is toppling the idols of the world right now. Sports and school and politics and government and the entertainment industry and the news media, it's all crumbling. God is proving that those things are not worth our time and money, that they cannot save us, they will not work. They only result in corruption. And some of this is going to painfully affect God's people and some of it will not. But this is God answering our prayers. He's heard our cries and seen our fastings, and we respond with despair, just like the Israelites. How much complaining have you done in the last 11 months? Come on. God's like, I'm bringing it all down. I'm proving that I'm the only one that can save you. I love you. I'm setting you free from your bondage to money and sports and your idolatry of education and and entertainment, and all of that, and you've prayed, God, save us from the wickedness in the government, and save us from the wickedness in the entertainment industry, and the idolatry of sports, and I have wrung my hands so much about the slavery of the student loan system, that people have no business going to college, borrow tens of thousands of dollars, and then they're slaved the rest of their life to pay it back. I'm like, God, into that. Well, guess what? Like a third of the people who were in college two years ago are in college now. And that system is crumbling. The wickedness of the teachers' union in the public schools, it's coming down. And we're complaining. You all aren't ready to rejoice about it yet, huh? I'm not sure I want this, God. I don't know if I want to be that free. I don't want to have to depend on you, God. I want to go to Walmart and know there's going to be stuff on the shelves. 
I don't want to have to wait for manna every morning. God's excited about it. Our sports heroes can't save us. Our government leaders certainly cannot save us. Celebrities will never save us. Business and the economy will not save us. Education won't save us. All of the gods of this world are failing us. And we complain instead of turning to God. But after God demonstrates that he is the only real God, he's going to judge this world and its king, Satan. And you must have a Passover lamb. There must be blood on your door when God brings it all down. God loves you. His invitation is for everyone. It wasn't just for the Israelites. They could all bring in their Egyptian neighbors if they wanted to come. It says when they left Egypt, a whole mixed multitude of people went with the Israelites. There were lots of other people that came in to their house. You must have blood on your door because God is going to judge this world and its king. And the whole thing is going to be destroyed. But if there's blood on the door of your house, I'm talking about your heart and I'm talking about Jesus. Because he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is our Passover lamb. It's his blood on us. that He died in our place so that I don't have to. I'm not subject to the judgment and wrath of God anymore. I am protected in love. And that's not just me or just anybody in this room. Everyone is invited. There's no one that's exempt. Everyone is invited. But everyone must choose. You must decide what God said is coming is true. Bring your family and neighbors into your house, folks. I don't mean your house down the street. I mean bring them into faith in Jesus. The Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. You must have Jesus' blood. It was his death that substituted for yours, so the angel of death will pass you over. We've made the mistake of thinking that this world is about us, or that even your own life is about you. It's not. Your life is not about your car, or your job, or your snowmobile, or your house remodel, or your RV, or your rifles, or your money, or whatever it is that you think your future is going to be. You don't exist for this world. James 4.4 4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You know, our world has functioned fairly well, in America at least, for so long that we have this, these imaginings of our future. Well, I'm going to graduate high school, and I'm going to go to college, and I'm going to work this career, and I'm going to buy a house, and I'm going to get married, and I'm going to have these kids, and... We're going to build this retirement account, and this is going to be my hobby. I'm going to spend my money on these things, and we're going to raise the kids and then the grandkids, and we're going to retire, and none of that is promised. That's not the way the world works. That's not reality. That's not even history, folks. That is not the experience of anywhere near the majority of human, human history. If you want to be a friend of the world, Jesus doesn't mean that you're friendly with people in the world. Of course, we're friendly with the people in the world. You cannot be a friend with the world system. But this is what I'm living for, and this is what I want, and this is what I expect. There's a battle going on, a cosmic battle, and you have to pick a side. Either you follow Pharaoh or you follow Jesus. 
you have to pick a side. Because there's events going on, there's a reality, there's a world bigger than you. And your existence is not about you. And God loves you and he invites you this morning, put the blood of the lamb on your door. Put the blood of the lamb on your heart because I don't want you to die in the destruction that's coming. I have to judge the ruler of this world. It's Bible, folks. He's coming to judge the ruler of this world. God has to take Pharaoh out. Pharaoh is the devil. It's not a man. He has to take him out. But anybody that sides with him, they'll literally be hell to pay. If you side with Jesus, you will not pay, even if you deserve it. So agree with God. Fear him and no one else. Listen to him. Obey him. Jesus, proved that he loves you, that he's worthy of your trust, that he loves you and he wants to save you and he wants you to know him. In your own life and in our nation and in the world, there are very dramatic and big events coming because the battle, the war is not over. In fact, I would say it's just picking up. Some of it might be pretty scary. Stand still and watch the deliverance of our God. When God comes to deliver us, things get worse. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Good news. Good news. Things are about to get worse. But God is going to move, and it's God's will that there be freedom. I want to set the slaves free. I'm here to plunder the enemy's camp. All the liars and all of the news media and the government career people who are just in it for their own pocketbook and their own power, I'm setting my people free from their slave masters who have taught the media and the schools and the culture and the entertainment concerts and movies. They've been brainwashed and they're full of lies. And they're slaves and they don't know it. And I'm here to bring deliverance. But it's going to look like plagues. And my church is going to live through some of it. Some of it you're going to be set free from and you'll just watch from the side. But some of it you're going to have to pay a price to live through. But it's all my deliverance. Yay God! Freedom hurts. Yay God! Not sure I want you to bring down the economy, God. I'm not sure I want you to bring down the government. I want to prove to you that I am your God and I am where freedom is. And that your dependence on your government check or on your job or on Walmart and Amazon is not where your provision comes from. Well, God, if I don't have anything, there's nothing to buy, that'll be really scary. Bread will show up every day. That doesn't sound like freedom. Well, you won't be a slave. Come on. They got out in the wilderness. You know, God rained down bread every morning. They wanted to go back to Egypt where their slave masters gave them their food. God was insulted. You'd rather be a slave, have a predictable, miserable future, than live day to day in my camp in freedom and love and my presence.
God is delivering us. Lord, this, the last 11 months, is what the beginning of revival looks like, apparently. God, we're, we're, we're about to see some really, really awesome things. A move of God that has never happened in world history before. Revival at a planetary scale. Because it is not yet time for the Antichrist to be revealed. But the things that are going on are absolutely Antichrist. And if it's not time, then he has to put a stop to it. And when he does, we're going to plunder the enemy's camp. And I don't mean money. I mean souls. I mean, we're going to set free the people who are Jesus' treasures, who are bound up in all the lies of the world, who are slaves and don't know it. Amen. Amen. So don't complain about the plagues. Don't be afraid. It's God. It's freedom. Swear your allegiance to Jesus. Put his blood on your door and you, won't, you will not be touched. Amen. Lord, we love you. We bless you. We praise your holy name. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood that you gave to pay for our sin so that we don't have to die in the judgment of God. Thank you.